Amen. Thank you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to take this opportunity now to greet those of you who are watching in our campuses. Uh, this message is going to each of our campuses today. Our 830 service as well. It went there already. Probably wondering how that happened. But um, we do a pre-recording on Thursdays, and that went there. And so this message is going to everybody. So welcome to those of you in Waterbury, in New Milford, and in Derby, and to all those of you who are online. We are starting a brand new sermon series today, and it's called uh, Storytime. Let me just give you a little background of where we've been. If you've been with us through this school year, we are focusing in on the person of Jesus Christ And we're praying that each and every one of us would grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus than we've ever grown before. I hope you're experiencing that. I am, for sure, right now, leaning in to all that Jesus has for us. I hope that each and every one of us are. In the beginning of the school year, we did a series called Jesus Is, focusing on the character of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Then we moved to Jesus Says. We looked at a lot of different things about what Jesus has taught us, a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. And then over our Easter season, we did a series called Jesus Lives. He is alive. Amen. Amen. This is what makes uh, Christianity a relationship more than a religion. Because Jesus lives. This is what it's about. We're never inviting you into religion. We're We're inviting you into a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. You can actually know him and walk with him and hear him and be guided by him. Be loved by him. Know your true identity and purpose in Christ Jesus because He lives. Praise God. That's not just an Easter message. That's an everyday message uh, for the Christ follower. And so what we're moving into now in this sermon series called Story Time is about how Jesus reigns. He rules. He reigns. He is our king who's brought in a new kingdom. And in this series, we want to share with you 10 insights into the kingdom of God, his ways, how he rules. Um, let me start here. One of my favorite passages comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul says this, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I love that word, gone. The Apostle Paul could have said, The old life is less, and the new life is more now. No, but the Apostle Paul, what he wants us to know is that in Christ Jesus, we have a brand new life. And in order to have a brand new life, that means that the old life is gone. What Jesus died for on the cross was that you could have a new identity in him, that you could have a new life, a brand new life in him. Not that you could just have a part of him, but you could have all of him in your life, a new life. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So if we are new in Christ Jesus, then our attitude should be new. Our speech should be new. Our purpose should be new. Our identity should be new. Our pursuits should be new. If we are new, then everything should be new and fresh. I love in the Gospels, the thing that Jesus talks most about is the kingdom of God. If you don't believe me, check it out. Read the Gospels. You're going to see the thing that Jesus talks the most about is the kingdom of God. And so often in these stories that Jesus tells, he starts by saying the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. 
Uh, a person who casts seeds, the kingdom of God is like this, like this, like this. He's constantly trying to teach his disciples about the kind of kingdom that he was building and bringing in. The kingdom is really just the dome in which Jesus rules and reigns. Any place where Jesus rules and reigns, this is his kingdom. And as Christ followers, we're called to expand and grow his kingdom. And so as we scatter the earth with people who believe and who have surrendered their life to Jesus, his kingdom is growing. Because in each one of those people, it represents a person who is saying, Jesus is king of my life. And I'm going to follow him and listen to him in whatever he calls me to. And that's where his kingdom is birthed because he is in charge and he is the kingdom. And Jesus so often talked about the kingdom, about his rule and his reign, how he does things and how as his people we're called to operate, how we're called to live, how we're called to treat one another in the context of this brand new kingdom. All things are new here in this kingdom of God. The series is called Storytime, 10 Insights on the Kingdom of God. We're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. I'll read it as we go, verses 14 through 17. I want to encourage you again strongly to bring the Word of God with you. You can do that in a physical copy like this one or on your phones, however you want to do that. If, if you don't have it today, we often put it up on the screens as well, and we'll continue to do that, but I'd love for you to bring it with you so that you can look at it and see it, underline, make notes, whatever you need to do. We want to really press in to God's word. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Here's the insight into the kingdom of God that I want to share with you today. Jesus is always doing a new thing. Jesus is always doing a new thing in and through us and for his people. He's always doing a new thing. And here's the action that I want you to put alongside that principle. Embrace new. <laughs> Embrace the new. There's this passage in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, where Jesus is calling people to follow him. He didn't just tell his disciples who had become the apostles to follow him. He called all kinds of people to come and follow him. And this is one of the stories of Jesus doing that. It says this in Luke 9. He said to another person, this is Jesus, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. A reasonable request. But Jesus told them, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said to Jesus, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told them, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was calling them to follow him into this new life. And Jesus' words seem quite harsh to these people, don't they? Maybe even unreasonable. But what Jesus is trying to teach these folks is, listen, I'm calling you to follow me. And, and each of them said, but first let me do this. But first let me do this. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to look back because when you look back, you return back. I want you to step into this new life with me. And I think this is the principle that he's trying to teach each and every one of us. But we're really good at a but first life. But first 
Let me just understand scripture a little bit better, Lord, before I step out and serve you in this way. But first, let me grow a little bit older. I'm just, I'm not quite sure I'm equipped for this, Lord. But first, let me get financially stable. Then I'll give. But first, but first. And we live in this but first life. But the Lord, he doesn't want us to be in a but first life. He's saying, no, no, no. Looking back leads to returning back. When I call you, you go. When I speak, you listen. You trust me. If you think you should trust yourself, you're crazy. Trusting yourself over trusting the Lord. You're absolutely insane for choosing that way. No, trust me. Trust the Lord you can with all of your heart. Not a but first lifestyle, but a I'm gonna follow you first, Jesus lifestyle. Three things that I, I wanna do with you today, and, and here they are. In this passage, you're gonna notice that John's disciples in Matthew 9 asked Jesus a question. I wanna talk about what that question is. The second thing I wanna talk about is how Jesus answers that question. And the third thing I wanna do is I wanna ask you what new thing is Jesus wanting to do in you, and I wanna give you three practical ways that you can discover that new thing that Jesus wants to do in and through you. Very simple outline, let's jump in. The first thing I wanna do with you is ask what is the real question that is being asked in this passage. Let's go to the passage. Matthew chapter nine, verse 14, it says this. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist who was preparing the way for Jesus, came to Jesus and asked him. So John's disciples come to Jesus and ask him this question. Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do. Now, fasting was a regular practice in the Jewish lifestyle. They would do it on a regular basis. And people would fast from things, primarily from food, in order to really put focus on the Lord. Uh, take that time to really focus on the Lord. Whenever those hunger pains would come up, focusing and turning their attention to the Lord. If you want to learn more about fasting, there's this fantastic chapter about fasting in this book called On the Other Side of Yes. You can look it up at any point that you want if you want to know a little bit more about fasting. And so John's disciples are noticing, wow, Jesus, your disciples, they're not fasting like we are. Why don't your disciples fast like we do? A couple things I want to point out about this. Oftentimes when the Pharisees would question Jesus, Jesus would rebuke them, he'd challenge them. But here, Jesus notices that John's disciples are asking with curiosity. They have a good heart about them. Hey, we're doing all this fasting. Why aren't these guys fasting? This is what we've always done. We're curious about this. Jesus, help us. And here's the thing that I want to point out. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their question. Jesus isn't upset by their question at all. He begins to answer their question. And here's what I wanna say to you. It's good to bring, bring your questions to the Lord. Bring them to the Lord. He can handle them. In fact, oftentimes it's through bringing your questions to the Lord and to those you trust in your, in your spiritual walk where growth can happen. Uh, if you resist questions and if you just kind of put them off to say, oh, I, can't, I can't question my faith, you're gonna be in a position where you don't ever grow. It's in the context where you ask these questions where the Lord reveals himself and he speaks to you. And so I wanna encourage you, bring your questions, be curious 
about Jesus. Be curious about the faith. And the Lord, he will move in powerful ways. I, I love Thomas. We give him a hard time, right, after the resurrection. I can't believe Thomas doubting, he doubted. This, this guy, how could he doubt? I mean, Jesus showed up in his presence. Wasn't that enough? But I think Thomas was bold, bold Thomas, to say, hey, Jesus, not quite sure yet. Is it really you? You may have asked that question too. I've never seen someone just appear in a room. I'd have some questions about that. What's happening here? What company did you hire to do this magic trick? What's happening? And so Thomas is like, ah, I'm not quite sure. And, and Jesus wasn't put off by this. He didn't say, how dare you distrust that it's really me? Didn't you just see me come through that wall without any trouble at all? No, Jesus says, here, touch my hands. Touch my side. And it was through Thomas's questioning, it, it was through his doubting that he was led to a decision on Jesus, right? And so that's okay. And here's what I want to say to us church folks. Let's not be too bothered when people have questions about their faith. Let's lean on the Lord. Hey, Lord, help us answer these questions. Give them real proof of your existence, Lord. Bring them into a real walk with you. And that's what's happening here. These disciples have these questions, and Jesus, he's not put off by it. He begins to enter into dialogue with them. And I bet they're forever changed because of it. Now, here's what I want to talk about. What is the real question that they're asking? Because there's always a question behind the question. Have you picked up on that? There's all, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, like there's always a question behind the question. If you have a friend, there's always a question behind the question. If you don't believe me, let me give you a couple examples. Hey, Papa, Papa. How do you turn on your chainsaw? <laughs> They're not just curious about how to operate a chainsaw. They're building something. Hey, Papa, Papa, what's your Amazon password? Right? They don't want to just know it for future reference. They're wanting to purchase something right? that they cannot afford. There's always a question behind the question. So what's the actual question here. Let's look at the context. In Matthew chapter 9, here are a few things that are happening. First, these friends bring this paralyzed man on a mat to Jesus. Jesus looks at this man, and the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and go. The Pharisees are very upset by what Jesus does here. Who does he think he is? Does he think he's God? This is blasphemy. How can he forgive sins. Next story that happens is when Jesus goes up to Matthew, it says he was sitting at his tax collector's booth. You might remember I preached on this a few weeks ago. And he says to Matthew, follow me. What happens immediately after that, I love too, is Jesus takes Matthew. Matthew invites Jesus to his place and he has all these people come and Jesus has a meal with them. And all the Pharisees look at this and they're upset how is Jesus and why is Jesus eating with sinners? In some of your translations, you can open it up there and you can see it'll say, such scum. Why is Jesus doing this? How is, how is your rabbi eating with such people? He shouldn't be doing that. And then now this story of John's disciples. Jesus, why, why do your disciples not fast when we're fasting all the time? So what's the real question that's being asked of Jesus over and over and over again, time and time again? 
Here's the question behind the question. Jesus, why do you do things differently? Why are you doing things differently? This is not a question about fasting. Therefore, this shouldn't be a message about fasting. It's actually a question about philosophy. (laughs) Jesus, why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Jesus, why are you doing the things you do? Why do you do these things the way that you do them? And maybe more correctly, the question is, why don't you do things the way we've always done them? (laughs) Why don't you do things the way we've always done them? Behave, Jesus. You're going out of the bounds here. And we don't like it. We don't know what to do with it. Your disciples are not fasting like the rest of us. You forgive sins unlike anyone else. You eat with sinners. Why are you doing things differently? Let me pause here and just say this. If we're not open to Jesus doing things differently in our life, then we have chosen a stagnant spiritual life. We must be open to Jesus doing new things within us. We must, if we want to grow in him, if we want to learn more about him, if if we want more of Jesus revealed to us, we must be open to him doing a new thing within us. If we're not open to Jesus doing something new, then we're not going to experience fruit. We're not going to experience growth. We're not going to experience a positive witness of Christ in and through us. We're not going to experience great adventures in Jesus if we're not open to him doing a new thing. So how does Jesus answer this question, the real question? Why do you do things differently? Or why don't you do things the way we've always done them? And he gives three responses, and they're stories. That's why it's called story time. (laughs) Three responses. He takes us to three places, a wedding, a tailor, and a winery. And in each of these stories, he reveals part of the answer to this question. Why are you doing things differently, Jesus? He starts at a wedding, and in verse 15 he says this, Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. The answer Jesus is giving to this question, why are you doing things differently right now? The answer is, because of my presence. That's why I'm doing things different. That's why everything's different right now, is because of my presence. The presence of the Lord is is among you. And when the presence of the Lord is among you in this new way, in this way Jesus was ushering in his presence, everything changes. You don't mourn when you're in the presence of the groom at a wedding. No, that is a time of celebration. Why? Because the groom is in your presence. What Jesus is saying is, I am the groom. I am the one who has come to bring in the presence of the Lord in a brand new way. This is a time to celebrate. A time is coming where we will fast, but right now, while I'm here with my disciples, that time is not right now. Why? Because of my presence, and my presence changes everything. Has the presence of the Lord changed anything in your life? It's the presence of God that changes us. It's the presence of God that reveals his great love for us, The presence of Jesus in our life changes everything. Not just thoughts and ideas about him, but his presence actually with us changes everything. The second place he takes us is to a tailor. Jesus says this, besides, in verse 16, who would patch old clothing with new clothing? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear 
than before. Jesus is answering this question, why are you doing things different, by saying this, because my purpose for you is different. So my presence is one of the answers, but now my purpose for you is another part of the answer of why I'm doing things differently. We need to understand something about this story so that it makes sense to us. See, in our day, our clothing is bought pre-shrunk, at least most of the time. Sometimes you buy something, you put it in the wash and dry, and it, it, and it becomes very small. And, and we're like, what happened? Well, that's a first world problem, okay? Because usually your clothing is pre-shrunk. Even so, um, sometimes, you know, it, it shrinks a little bit. But, but in, in Jesus' day, what would happen is cloth had to be shrunk naturally, and it would keep shrinking for, for a long time. And so new cloth and old cloth would shrink at different rates. And so everybody would know that you would never take an old piece of clothing that had ripped, take new cloth and put it on that old cloth. Because if you did that and you sewed it in, what would happen is they would shrink at different rates. And the new cloth would usually shrink faster and it would pull away at that tear and create a bigger tear. And so what Jesus is saying is you can't take your old life and attach your new life to it because it's gonna cause way more problems than you could ever imagine. I actually have a new purpose for you. And that new purpose is not just to take this thing and add it into your life and to accommodate it into your old life. No, my purpose for you is that you have a brand new life. So don't try to sew in this new life into your old life. The third story that Jesus tells, he takes us to a winery. And he says this in verse 17. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. In the ancient world, there were no bottles, no recyclable cans. What they would do is they would put liquids into animal skins that were tied together and used almost like a canteen. And as time went on, the skins would become brittle and they would eventually break, spilling out the liquid. So when Jesus told the parable of the wineskins, what he's saying is new wine must be poured into new wineskins. You can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. It's gonna create a pressure within that container and it's gonna cause it to burst and now all of a sudden that wineskin's gonna be broken and the wine, the new wine you've put into it is gonna be ruined. You can't do it. And so here's the point what Jesus is trying to say. New situations require new structures. You can't expect the old to accommodate the new. When you get a new job, you've got to learn new skills. When you start a new relationship, it will require new ways of relating. You can't retrofit your old life where you ruled and reigned with a life in Jesus where he rules and reigns. If you think about the kingdom and, and Jesus, what we're coming into as this new wineskin and we're the new wine being placed into it, he's creating this new place for us to live, this new way to live. You can't position it and place it into the old way. It'll cause everything to burst. Here are the main ideas in all of this. See, Jesus 
He's answering this question by saying, I've got my presence with you. That's why everything's different. I have a new purpose for you. That's why everything's different. And I have a new plan for you. That's why everything is different. And my new plan for you is this, is to, to, to make your allegiance to Jesus Christ solely. This is your plan. This is the best plan for your life, is to make Jesus the king of that life. Don't try and patch up the old way with the new way. Don't try to mix the new way with the old way. No, Jesus is doing a new thing. Came in to usher something in totally new. Don't build it into or onto your old life. Begin a new life in him. I've told you this story before if you've been around a while, but, but, I, but I like it, so I'm gonna share it again, and I'm running out of stories. No, I'm not. I've got tons of stories, but this is a good one. I remember one Christmas, I got my brother-in-law, Johnny, a brand new Carhartt jacket, right? He loved his Carhartt jacket, but I noticed, I think he had this for 60 years, and he's only 40, but somehow <laughs> that's what it looked like. Holes in it, rips everywhere. So I pulled his name for Christmas, and I'm like, I'm gonna get him a new jacket. So I got him a new jacket, and he, and he loved it. I'm sure he's still wearing it to this day, right, Johnny? Still wearing it today. But I would have been really offended if Johnny took his new jacket and sewed it into his old jacket and kept wearing his old jacket. I'd be like, Johnny, what are you doing? I've given you a new jacket. Throw away the old jacket. You have no need for that anymore. And this is really what Jesus is saying is, why are you always trying to sew your old life into your new life? You have a brand new life. Live your life pursuing this new life in me. I love how Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, on six separate occasions, he says this. You have heard it said, and then he'd say something, and then he would say, but I say this. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you look at the teachings of Jesus, what you see him doing is saying this. Hey, listen, you've heard it said this way, but you've interpreted it wrongly. Here's how I say it. And this is why we turn to the words of Jesus so often. And so he says in one context, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. You've been interpreting the love of God and how you're to love others wrongly. Let me interpret it correctly for you. And so this is what Jesus is doing here. You've heard it said that you have an old life and a new life. Well, let me tell you what it really is. You have a new life in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus changes everything. Everything's new in Jesus. Hierarchy was replaced with unity. There was no longer in Jesus upperclassmen in faith. <laughs> no, we, we come and all of us are forgiven of our sins. The same amount of grace is given to every single person. The same spirit is given to every person. Religion was replaced with relationship by Jesus. Selfishness was replaced with sacrifice. Salvation by works was replaced with grace. Some was replaced with all people. Jesus changed everything. Our old life is gone, our new life has come. Our view of God has changed because of Jesus. Our view of ourselves has changed because of Jesus. It's brand new. Our view of our future is completely changed because of Jesus. We now have hope because he's returning. We're gonna be with him forever. Our purpose changes because of Jesus. Our view of our priorities change. Our approach to life changes because of Jesus. Everything changes because of Jesus, because he's made all things new. 
and he's always doing something new. So let me close my time by answering this question. How do we discover the new thing that Jesus is doing in our life? And let me ask you this question. What new thing is Jesus wanting to do in you? Here's the problem with people. (laughs) That's a great statement. And me being one of those people. We resist change. And so we apply that to our relationship with Jesus. We we become resistant to change. We're uncomfortable with it. Jesus, what are you going to do in my life? (laughs) Where are you going to call me? What are you going to ask me to do? And we become uncomfortable. We resist change. A, A story about change that I love, it's one of my favorites, comes from a friend of ours from the past, Alex Buchanan. And Alex, he's since passed, but he would come to our church often and he would share encouraging yet very challenging words with us. How many of you remember Alex? How many of you were around? Yeah. And Alex would come. He told this story to us. I can't remember if it was in a small group, probably in a small group, but he told us this story once. He said, I was a new pastor at this church and I went in and I noticed that the choir always sat in the choir lofts, which were behind the podium. And they would sit in the choir lofts and the congregation would sit out here and, and we'd sing together. And he said, you know what, I, I really wanted the, the congregation to engage in singing more. So I went to the choir director and I said, hey, would you mind taking the choir and having them sit in the congregation? And then when you do your special pieces, you come up. And the choir director said, no. No, 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 that's, no, we've always sat in the choir loft. And Alex thought to himself, he's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And it really bothered him. And so he said, you know what, with, with holy indignation, one evening, late at night, I went to the church when no one else was there, and I went into that choir loft, and in my right hand, I held an ax. <laughs> you see where this is going. And I chopped those pews until they were no more. And I cleared out that choir loft And so on that Sunday morning when the choir came, there was no place for them to sit. And so the only place they could sit was with the congregation. And so they sang with the congregation. And he even said, you know what? Several months later, several of the choir members came and they said, you know what? It's so wonderful to be among the people worshiping and singing together. But they resisted change. I wonder, what are the choir pews in your life right now? What are those things that are keeping you from that new thing that Jesus wants in you? And, and by the way, I don't have a problem with pews, okay? I don't want this to, to get back on that. But, but, but what do you need to chop down so that God can do a new thing? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's just the, the, the attitude of this is how things have always been done. Maybe it's just your particular comforts that you have in life right now. What do you need to take the ax out on and chop Maybe the Lord is calling you to open his word in a new way. Maybe for the first time, actually, as a Christ follower, he's calling you to get into his word. It would be a new thing for you. What, what are you resistant about? Maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I can't understand it. Take out the ax and chop that down. Say, no, I'm gonna step into it and see what the Lord has for me. Maybe it's worshiping the Lord fully. You might say, well, you know what? When I come into worship, I'm, I'm hesitant. I can't sing very well. I don't really know what to do. Chop some of those lies down and allow the Lord to work in your heart to show you how he wants you to worship him in this season. Maybe it's serving. Maybe you know, you know that the Lord wants you to be serving in a particular area, but there are different boundaries up for you and obstacles. Chop them down. Allow the Lord to do a new thing. 
Maybe he's calling you to step out in one of the gifts he's given you, the gift of leadership, the gift of teaching, the gift of hospitality, the gift of prophecy. He's calling you to speak life into other people, but you think, ah, I can't do that. He wouldn't have me do that. Chop down those lies and step out in faith that Jesus could do something new in your life. He's always doing a new thing. Here's how you discover it. Three words, prayer, partnership, and practice. You wanna know what Jesus is doing in your life, a new thing? Pray, ask him, and keep asking him. Lord, what are you doing in my life? Pray, open his word, allow him to speak to you. Partnership, walk with people who might be able to identify it before you can. So often happens in my life. Brian, I think God's actually doing this in your life. Oh my goodness, I couldn't see it. I'm the closest to my life, but it took somebody else to point it out to me. Walk with people and ask them, what do you see God doing in my life? Tell me so that I can discover that new thing. And then practice. If you sense the Lord doing a new thing in your life, step out and trust him in it. The Lord's calling me to open his word. He wants to reveal himself through his word. Begin to read it practice it. Oh, the Lord, he's calling me. He's challenging me to share my faith. Go and tell your story. Practice it. Further instructions are on the way, but you need to step out in faith and practice it. Jesus wants to do a new thing in you. This is so exciting. You're going to be better than you are right now. I'm personally excited about that for you. We can grow in him in deeper ways than we've ever grown before. He always has a new thing. My prayer for each and every one of us is that we would discover that new thing he wants to do in us and that we would be a church that embraces the new, trusting that God has great things for us. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus himself. Amen.